everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Far Shore. I'm James. Hey, everybody. I'm Andy. It's great to be back again, James. It is great to be back. It is great to be back. You know, Andy, last week, uh, people will notice that the episode has an explicit uh, tag next to it. So uh, <laughs> those of you that have listened to the episode will know why. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to get a bump in listenership. You know, now we've become edgy. Yeah, we've become edgy and all, all because of a certain race of dog. That all sounds, because, sounds yeah. like a, a cuss word. <laughs> yeah, all because of a certain race of dog. It's funny, I had to actually look up the rules on podcasting uh, to find <laughs> out whether or not we, we had to put that tag on ourselves. But but we did. We did. So, well, there we go. Yeah, yeah. 18 and overs, please. 18 and overs, just for, just for yeah. that one episode. Just for the intro, yeah. anyway. Um, so, hey, some some traveling for you this week uh, Rosie had to go for an English test this week part of your yeah, right. uh, immigration back to the UK oh I mean for anyone who knows anything about UK immigration it is just a, a huge joke um, and one of the uh, many hoops you have to jump through is doing a, a very simple English test to, to literally just you know you understand the most basic commands and, and that in itself is a little bit silly, but it's okay. It's a hoop that you can jump through. The problem is, is that in Brazil, the only place that does this test at the moment because of COVID is down in Rio de Janeiro, which is a three hour flight away. So just for a 15 minute test, Rosie had to jump on a, on a plane in the middle of the pandemic and uh, fly down to Rio just for 24 hours to do a, to do a test. So there it's crazy. Well, don't yeah. worry, because immigrating to the US was equally fraught with oh. crazy travels. I didn't actually have to do an English test, but I remember I had to go to the US Embassy in London uh, to have an yeah. interview at the very beginning. And my father-in-law had to complete like a form that said that he was <laughs> going to financially support me because Megan and I weren't working back then. And yeah. uh, he, he ticked the wrong box on the form. Um, <laughs> so, And what happened was that a very long story and I'm going to try and shorten it down but basically what happened was I had to then return to the London embassy a couple of months later with that form checked uh, at the time we were in the states so that meant we had to afford another flight back and forth another from the UK back. Uh, oh, not to man. not to mention uh, on the way to my wedding being detained by immigration services uh, for a good four <laughs> hours in the Raleigh Durham Airport in North Carolina. Uh, but that's a story oh, for another time. So, but yeah, I remember all that crazy stuff. And I think we were talking that you had to provide evidence that you guys were married and in a stable, oh, yeah. loving yeah. marriage. Uh, yeah, so I remember having to, to do that, put together yeah. like a photo album and, yeah, same. you know, all those kind of crazy things too. So uh, yeah. it's funny yeah, though, we went photos. to that final interview, the lady didn't even look at all the stuff we prepared. So uh, <laughs> Anyway, there it is. Yeah, oh. people, I, immigration's a funny one. I think, you know, it's such a hot topic, especially in the mm, US. It is, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's so expensive. It, I I think, I can't remember, I think Megan and I worked out, it nearly cost us $15,000, the whole process, including flights and all the, every yeah. time I had to have my fingerprints taken, it was an extra $500. It was really <laughs> expensive. Well, just, yeah, well, just this English test was, was 200 US dollars, just for this English test. Yeah. For like a 20 minute 20 minute test but i yeah. think they do it just to uh, to put people off so you only <laughs> you only go through it unless you I, really want to i thought the weather the weather and soggy <laughs> yeah. soggy cheese and onion pasties would put people off moving to england i didn't think there needed to be uh, anything else oh, the, oh man we'll have to do a pod again on our immigration and visa issues uh, yeah, <laughs> of yeah i think so i think so <laughs> Well, Andy, today coming up, we, we have an interview with, with Mick. Yeah, we do. And it's interesting. We just talked a little bit about English language because for our American listeners, they're in for a treat because Mick is from uh, Yorkshire, which is a, uh, a place in the UK, um, actually the same uh, county that I'm from and so you have your Yorkshire accent now I don't really have a strong Yorkshire accent you don't at, at all. all I've lost it over the years but Mick uh, being uh, from Leeds and a miner 
uh, he does have uh, quite a, a lovely Yorkshire accent, which for our American friends, um, I'm afraid we can't even put subtitles on like you guys normally have to have uh, on, on films. <laughs> so you just have to work it out. Just keep on re-listening. <laughs> Well, hello, everybody. Uh, today we're joined uh, with Mick Pease, and Mick is, is a good friend of ours. Mick's the founder and the director of SFAC, Strengthening Families for Abandoned Children. Uh, he's a former miner from Yorkshire in the UK, which is uh, very close uh, to where I'm from as well, in the north of the UK. Uh, he's also a qualified social worker, and Mick, he spent some time in Brazil as a missionary working with institutional children's homes, um, but now through the work of SFAC, he now promotes and advocates uh, family-based care for vulnerable children worldwide. And uh, we here at Revive have benefited from Mick's expertise as Brazil, uh, as a country as well, has also benefited, and we'll get into that uh, soon. And we've really benefited from his expertise as we begin to transition from institutional care uh, to fostering. So Mick, uh, welcome to the Far Shore. It's really good to have you here. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Uh, good, good. It's really good to have you. Uh, Mick, why don't you um, kick off and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how SFAC came about? Right, okay. Well, as, uh, as Andy just explained, I'm, I'm a former miner, so many people often certainly Christian, Christian environment will say, so you really were saved from the pit. Uh, because I, I as, yes, I was, um, I was rescued from the pit. Uh, I worked as a coal miner for about 10 years uh, after leaving school and um, somehow uh, found myself in Bible college for three years. And somehow from that found myself then working with National Children's Home uh, residential social work uh, with teenagers and uh, out of that I, I, I then got into um, uh, I went to university to qualify as a social worker and um, ended up working for Leeds City Council which is very close to where Andy lives in, in York and um, uh, one of the largest local authorities in, in England um, and I was working there in, in, as child protection and then in foster care and in kinship care. And in the middle of the 90s, I, I kind of began to pick up. Uh, I still started feeling anxious uh, about God's got something else for me, uh, but I don't know what and, and, and I don't know where, and, and I certainly don't know who with. And so I started pushing the boat out and uh, asking organizations, hey, I'm a qualified social worker and um, I work with kids. Um, I've been to Bible college. Surely, you know, you, you know, you, you must have some openings for me somewhere. And um, out of 25 organizations that I wrote to, uh, only one came back positively because all the others came back and said, this was in mid 90s, early to mid 90s, right. social worker. Hmm, what can we do with the social worker? Let me think. <laughs> if you were a car mechanic, brilliant. We could use you. If you're a builder, even better. If you were a nurse or primary health care, we could use you. Um, you know, even as a pastor, we could use you. But a social worker, and I would say, yeah, but you've got loads of kids' homes. Yeah, but we don't need social workers, don't you? So one opportunity came to me and they said, we have got an adoption project in Brazil. We'd love you to come out and have a look at it. And that was with um, YWAM in Belo Horizonte. And so that, that got my interest. That got me into Brazil. In 97, 98, I went to live in Brazil in Sao Paulo, working with street kids and street kids mission. And uh, it was only there I began to see what Brazil were doing. I was unaware at the time that most other countries were doing the same thing. They were putting kids into care homes. We're in actual England, in the UK, we've been closing our kids' homes down for years and beginning to try to develop foster care and other programs, family care programs. Uh, and I'm thinking, so why is that not happening elsewhere? I wasn't being critical. I was just saying, I don't understand why are kids here, I mean, placed in their thousands in very inappropriate 
uh, kids' homes, some institutional, some um, uh, like prisons, basically, juvenile reception centres. And it was only whilst I was there that I began to see that there is no family care in Brazil, really. Mm. And I started asking questions. And all this is God-led, because it certainly wasn't any of my vision or my dream to do this. Uh, I didn't even think of it until I got there. And um, um, I started meeting judges and lawyers and social workers and psychologists. And people would say, come and tell us more, come and tell us more. That was the founding, really. So I, I spent a year, came back to England, recommenced my work with uh, Leeds City Council, uh, waited for the opportunity to explode and see what happened. And nothing did, no invitations came. So I started up my own organization, SFAC. And uh, I thought, right, we're going to be available and let's see where that goes. And God then suddenly led me from Brazil, which is 5,000 miles or so. Uh, <laughs> west uh, of the UK, yeah. 5,000 miles east uh, of the UK to um, uh, Tajikistan, small country just out on the border of China and, um, uh, and just above uh, Afghanistan and um, a completely different religion, a completely different culture and mm. I'm thinking I don't know what I've got to bring because I'm Brit, I've been in Brazil, fine, I understand Latino a bit but now I'm in very different environment and I found exactly the same issues there where people were placing kids because they uh, for all generally because of family breakdown or poverty yeah. uh, the real drivers and they were placing kids in kids homes and I thought here we go you know west east it's the same thing so mm. that's why SFAC was born to see what can we do to address this Brilliant. No, thanks, Mick. And what 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 is the the vision then? What 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 are you doing currently for SFAC when you travel the world? What are you doing? It's always been about working with organisations because we don't have our own organisation. Uh, mm. Sorry, we don't have our own projects. But it's been working with organisations to understand the fact that children belong in families. That's uh, it, always been the case. Children are born into families and they live in families, they grow up in families, and they need to remain in families, but safe families, not just any family, because there are some children mm. who are living in with their parents who shouldn't be there. We yeah. see that in England, we see that in America, we see it in Australia, because it's unsafe. They're exploited, they're trafficked, they're slave slavery, and sometimes that's down to poverty, sometimes it's through lack of education, sometimes it's, well, that's what happened to me, that's what you do with it, you know, that's how I grew up. So therefore, and it's about educating people about there are ways to look after children in a safer and a better way and get them into families and not just putting them in institutions. So if it's about preventing family breakdown, if it's about getting kids back into their families or their extended families or into foster care, but it's sharing knowledge and, and, and skills and experience, which we have lots of, it's turning good intentions into good practice. So lots of people will start to say, well, there's these kids, we're going to do something. Let's build a children's home Let, and let's mm. put them in there. And, and then that's what, that's, that'll be fine. Um, well, it isn't. And there are lots of reasons for that, actually. So we're turning mm. good, there are good intentions. You want to help a child who are in distress or vulnerable. Yeah. But there are better ways to help children once you become more knowledgeable and understand the issues a lot better than what you did before. So it's a practice-led yeah. organisation that uses that. We're not into, we understand theory, we have the theory, but that isn't what we talk about. We talk about practice. How do we do this better? No, that's great, Mick. Um, we're going we're gonna to get in to kind of ripping apart institutional <laughs> care <laughs> soon. Um, and I think lots of people, um, they kind of, they understand what a children's home is. People will automatically think of orphanages. And, and so they kind of understand what a children's home is. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about today about what we would call family-based care. Now, Mick, do you want to just take a few minutes just to perhaps define what we mean by family-based care and, and perhaps the different, different methods they are of family-based care? Yeah. Well, family care uh, is actually family care rather than family-based. 
we're not based on a family. So I would say, yeah, it is family care. So family care, what that means is uh, that preferably for children, that they should, if we can help them break family breakup, bearing in mind a lot of kids finish up in children's homes because of poverty uh, and, and violence and drugs and crime and various other things, but poverty is always there. Mm. Um, and what an opportunity for the church to get involved with programs in communities right. with kind of like creches and kind of like, in here we have them don't we, in the UK where we'll say after school clubs. Mm. Yeah, I was in Mexico a few, uh, only a couple of years ago and the amount of kids that were in children's homes in Mexico um, and the parents put them there voluntarily mm. because they said the kids are safer in the children's home when we go to work at six in the morning, our kids are hanging around. When we come, when the, when a kid comes home from school at four o'clock in the afternoon, we're not home till seven at night. The kids are hanging around. When they're hanging around, they are easy prey for the kidnappers or for the gangs to run drugs from crime. So, so they thought they were doing the right thing. And what we're saying is, well, even better than putting kids in the children's home, how about instead of that, forget the children's home and actually go back into the community and, and put school clubs on so that kids can be there before mum and dad go to work, sorry, after mum and dad are going to work and before they come home at night and then they know their kids are safe and they can go and live at home. So those kind of things, preferably to keep families when, when their real reason for putting a child into a children's home is because of poverty, keep mm. them with the biological mum and dad, mum and or dad, um, wherever possible, if it's safe. If that's not safe, for whatever reason, and sometimes it isn't, and we have to look at that seriously, then kinship care, that's something that globally countries have done that long before children's homes ever existed, orphanages ever existed. Yeah. You know, that's what traditional, where, where people in the village would look after somebody else's child because they'd become orphan because mum and dad had died or they'd run away or whatever, or just couldn't do it, then somebody else would do that. Then, of course, children's orphanages came on the scene and they thought well fine we don't need to do that anymore we can hand them over to a children's home and they can look after kids so going back to what's always been around for centuries is kinship care look at kin are there brothers and sisters aunts uncles cousins grandparents who can help who would look mm. with a bit of support could, would look after that child and that's what yep. we're doing massively in the uk and a, a huge proportion of kids who can't live with mum and dad for whatever reason are living with grandparents or relatives. So that's kin. So the, kin, the pre prevention and uh, is that, that we've got that. We've got reunification where kids could go and live with, back with mum and or dad um, because we're going to help them. So the family broke down, went into an orphanage. Now we can we get them back there? Um, and then you've got, for some kids, family don't want them or they're not safe. They're not appropriate at all to look after kids. That's where foster care comes in. And foster care can look after kids for three weeks, three months, three years. It depends whether it's with the government or it's an independent voluntary arrangement. But it's basically stranger foster care where kinship is blood related. So that, that's that one. Then at the end of the line, really, you've got adoption. And there are some children that do not want to live in family care at all. They want to live in a children's home and they want yeah. to stay there. And mm. for some children, that's the way it has to be. And we, so we can never put children's homes out of the equation. They've always got to be mm. part of that package. So that's the range of it, but keep them small, the children's home small with uh, a lot of emphasis on family mm. rather than institutional. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, we're going to, we're going to rip into a little bit into institutions, but you have made it very clear, and it's, it's good to make it clear again, that there is always a role for children's homes yes. in the care package. Yes, uh, exactly. when we, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not saying that every single children's home should close down, um, but they need to perhaps rethink um, the type of chi child that they are working with, yeah. and if that child could be placed back yeah. into their family or uh -huh. into a, a family care system. That's, right. that's key. And, so and let's get into it then. So good, can you just add to that? There's a, there's mm. a, there is a lot of talk outside with organisations on the, what we call the deinstitutionalized uh, agenda, of which we are part of, 
that wouldn't agree with that. They would say mm. all children's homes are bad and close them. Yeah. Uh, all I'm saying is England, we've been on this journey a long, 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 long time and we still have children's homes. Yeah. America still has children's homes. Australia still has children's homes. So the developed world still has children's homes. The idea that in the developing countries or the less well-off countries are going to suddenly close all their kids' homes when, yeah. when there's not a lot of health care or medical care or social care facilities around to help families in distress. And many of these families are living in extreme poverty in, the, mm. in, 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 in shanty towns, etc. Um, the idea that you're going to close them all is, is nonsensical in our view. So that we always think it is a part of the package and should remain a part of the package. But as you said, it's important that we make sure that many of the kids in these kids' homes don't need to be there. Mm. They don't need to be there. And part of our experience as practitioners is to say, we have to find out which ones need to be there, want to be there, or don't need to be there. And what else yeah. can we do? Yeah, real. I can imagine, Mick, already quite a few of our listeners are perhaps uh, thinking of, of uh, an organisation that their church supports. Um, you know, we, you could walk into a church in the UK or the US and, you know, nine times out of 10 on their mission support board, they will have a relationship with a, a missionary or an organization in Africa or Asia or, you know, Latin America uh, that is running an orphanage or a children's home. And obviously, you know, well-intended uh, people and they're perhaps thinking, oh, no, you know, you know, what about this organization that we support? Um, we've already talked a little bit about the challenges of institutional care. Mick, if you could give perhaps what are mixed three main reasons why family care is preferential to institutional care, what do you think? Yep, well, I, I, as, if I'm speaking to a Christian organage, oh, sorry, organage, <laughs> where did come from? If I'm speaking to a Christian um, group, then I... Mm. I always say Psalm 68, 6, God puts the lonely into families. Amen. Uh, that is a, a scripture I found when I was in Brazil. I came across, I grew up in a Christian home and I'd never ever seen or heard of it uh, right in the mm. middle of the Bible there. But when I saw that, I thought, that is so true. It, I think in the Portuguese Bible, it says God put, it actually says God puts the, the, uh, the, the lonely into the lonely, yeah. houses. Uh, mm. Is it the same in the Spanish Bible? No, it's lonely as well. Yeah, well, in Portuguese, yeah, it's lonely. Yeah, yeah, yeah in Portuguese, yeah. So that's it. And I, I think, for me, it's biblical. You know, mm. it's like biblical. Uh, that family. You know, that's where that's where I was born, um, and you were born, and you were put into a family, like it or not, <laughs> good mm. yeah. or bad, rich or poor. That's where you were put, and that's where you grew. So biologically, you will never have another biological mother you will never have in the rest of your life a biological father another one mm -hmm. you may have stepfathers you may have kind of you know uncle different people you call father but you only have one couple one mom one dad that that's the way it was and that that's the the the, the whole emphasis on, on family and when uh, when we're when i'm just going to say a negative here before i say the positive when we remove or when kids are removed, whether we remove, government remove, or, or, or organizations move because of volunteer, voluntary arrangements, children out of their home without real good reasons, and I mean real good reasons, we are separating them from their culture, their origins, their identity, their neighborhood, their community, their language, their style of life, their friends, and we're putting them in a completely different environment, often westernized, because if the, mm. that children's home has been supported by funds, it often comes from the West or developed countries, and that's who will fund them, so therefore their clothing will replicate that, the food will replicate that, um, the televisions and the computers that are there are going to replicate that, and they're going to grow up, I call it, they're going to be reculturalized. They're deculturalized and reculturalized into another culture in their own country and often lose touch with that. If you're in Africa, in Uganda, for example, where I think there are about 80 dialects, it doesn't take long before you actually lose your biological mm. tongue, your mother tongue. You lose it yeah. and you learn English good grief. 
and you learn English because you have a lot of you know volunteers and it's you know English speaking churches that do the sport and so they say they send staff over to help and they learn to speak English and they lose their mother tongue and that's the price they pay yeah. how at 18 or 16 when they leave are they meant to go back to their community and integrate with their family and their community and their friends as as of many years ago um, how are they going to do that when they've been deculturalized? It's like we never knew you. You know, who are you? You're not, you're, mm. yes, you've got the name, but you're not the person we once knew. So then now, where do you belong? You don't belong in the community that you were born. You don't belong in the community that you've been raised up in, the children's home, um, because you come 18 and you have to go out your own way. That's the way it is. Where do you go? Yeah. You don't belong anywhere. You belong in the middle. You belong a little bit there and a little bit there, but neither do you fully belong. That's a scary place to be for kids. So that's one of the. That's, to me, that's the big negative about kids' homes when we're, we're needlessly separating kids uh, away from their families. But the positives about the families, children belong in families. Um, uh, family identity is our to know your roots and your background is crucial when you grow up. And if you don't believe me, the televisions these days, or certainly in the UK, I don't know about America, but in the UK, where people are always, they're following their ancestry. Mm. And, and particularly people who were adopted are tracking back. Where did I come from? Why was I adopted? Where was I adopted from? And they're mm. wanting to go back and check that. That's the powerful drive that most people as an adult, 20, 30, 40 years of age, that's the drive it has that to take you down that route. So we can never ignore children's um, identity, that their roots are so important. And um, I think another key one about family, where do you learn to become a parent? Mm. Do you go to college? Do you go to university? Do you read boatloads of books about them? Because you don't, I'll tell you where no. you learn to be a parent. You learn because when you're living in a family as a child, your children now, Andy, you're, I don't know how many, how many kids have you got? Two. So your two kids, even though you don't know it, are watching you and your wife, and they're listening to you, and they're and and they're they're, they're mimicking you, and they're learning from you, and they're learning lots of things about education and language and cookery and bakery, but they're also learning inside, and it never gets talked about how to be a parent, mm. so that when they become a parent, they have an idea that you you your how how they were parented becomes their reference point mm. because they've experienced it directly to themselves. Now, there are things that they will replicate because what you and your wife did were good. Mm. And there'll be some things that you in the figure, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that because I never liked it when my mom or dad did this to me or maybe that never. So I'm not going to do that with my kids. But never that's not the point. The point is they have a reference point on which to make those judgment calls. Mm. Kids who grow up in institutions don't have that because they grew up in group care with various members of staff who change and have different views and, and probably organizational changes. And then they go from one home to another home. So when I worked in National Children's Home in residential care, what they used to do is a child would be in a home for, for zero to two, baby, the baby home. And then when they became two, they went to the next house. And then when they got to five, they went to the next house. And when they became nine, they went to the next house. And they went round and went through all their houses. Different staff, different routines, different expectations, mm. which is right for them. They don't have a reference point. So mm. children living in a family, be it a foster family, adoptive family, a kinship family, or a biological family, parents, but at least they have a reference point about what parent, you know, what it's like to be a child and how to be parented. Mm. Um, and the individual care that they get with a family should be uh, what we call kind of attachment. They, yeah. can, they can they they become attached to a person to one person their primary caregiver that could be their granny it might not mm -hmm. be mom and dad because mom and dad might not be around much and they might not be great but whoever's looking after them that's who they will become attached to so they learn how to attach to people and make significant key relationships so mm -hmm. it's about individualized care in family mm -hmm. whereas in group care it's about group care and in group care there are rules. There are lots of rules, and there have to be, otherwise chaos reigns. And those rules uh, will um, become very discriminatory and arbitrary, and they're not, they're not for the individual, they're for the group. 
So lots and lots of differences. So family care is always best for children. And I'm going to add this last one in, then we move yeah. on. This last one is, this is a powerful one. Would you ever want your child to grow up mm. in a group home? Or would you prefer them to grow up in a family home if you were not able to parent them? Mm. Now, if your answer to that is, I'd want them to grow up in a family, preferably one of my own family, actually, mm. uh, then why do vulnerable children, why are we not treating those children with the same respect and dignity that we would for our own children? The vulnerable children need more, I don't mean practical things, they need people and they need affection and care. They don't need less. They need yeah. more individual time to cope with the loss and the rejection and the abuse and the hurt that they've already experienced in the years that they've lived. They need, they need family, they need individuals, not putting into great into group homes. Particularly younger kids don't need to go, younger children should never go into yeah. children's homes. Anyway. Mm. Yeah, no. no, brilliant, Mick. Wow, I think we, that was more than three, three <laughs> reasons, but that was great. But that was the biblical, uh, for us Christians, definitely, it's uh, it's the yep. way that God plans for for yep. children to, to be brought up in families. Um, it's it's individual care so important rather than group care, and then also, you know, what would what would we like? What's our ideal for our, our own children? Yep. And if we're treating other children differently to how we would treat our own, then we need to really question the reason Absolutely. why we are doing yep. it. So yep. brilliant. Some really good, some really good things. Um, so let's so let's now think. So perhaps we've now, Mick, have caused you know some some a real dilemma for some churches and some people who are thinking, oh my word, we are supporting. Uh, an institution or we are supporting the children's home or perhaps you know even the children's homes directors you know like me are listening and uh, and uh, you know we've been working with kids homes for a while uh, how what would what would what would be your advice uh, to these people to to help them begin the journey to perhaps transition from institutional care to family care well the the thing that you the, the massive positivity is the fact that you've been out there doing something, trying to do your best, trying to help these kids in the way that you thought was best. That is the huge positivity rather than sit back and say, well, we're not going to do anything. Uh, what can we do? Uh, who am I? Those kind of things. You've actually got up, you've made an effort and you've gone and done something. Um, so great intentions. That is the, the motivation and great intentions is the power that will drive the thing that you're going to drive. But what it, what it lacks is knowledge uh, about what you're doing and why you're doing it. You just, you know, it's like orphanages have been, from, certainly as long as I can remember back in, in the 60s, uh, and, but way beyond that as well. Um, where I, I often call it with the, they were the first and only port of call. In actual fact, orphanages and children's homes should be the last port mm. of call. Yeah. Um, because if it's the, when they're the last port of call, you've looked at every other possible option for each mm. individual child. Uh, and therefore now you know that the children that you've got with you, these are the ones that need to be with us. Mm. So there's a whole point about what we call transitioning to what are these other options these other ports that you call that what are they and, and why are they better some of which we've been talking about today um and even and then the next stage was well how do we do that well how do we do that when you're working with children and when you're working with your own children the child's best interests best interests mm -hmm. should be at the heart of everything that you do everything that you do now you're going to get it wrong as a parent i got it wrong plenty of times it's going to happen that's that's life isn't it that's humanity we're going to get it wrong many times but you can always recover you can always recover um and and apologize and and just say i got it wrong even as your dad i got it wrong um but it has to be in the child's best interests and not always what we think is in the child's best interests now, when we're knowledgeable and we've got research, we've got experience, then of course we can begin to apply that, what we think 
because we have decisions to make. But when you're not even applying the basics about, well, why are we doing what we're doing? Um, then we have to, um, we, we, we can, it can be very easy for organizations and for churches. It's the, what we call the feel good factor. Mm -hmm. It's the marketing approach. Look what we're doing. Here's the screen, mm -hmm. here's the photographs. Most kids don't want to be lauded out like that. Most kids do not want to have their pictures taken out there. Yes, they will, uh, if they're asked. Um, but privately, most of them don't want, don't want that to happen. So it's about privacy and respect mm -hmm. to children as individuals like we would want that for ourselves. Um, and I, years ago, I, it's about asking children what they would like individually not as a group so you don't have you've got 20 kids in your home you don't say right hands up if you want a family hands up if you want to stay here you don't do that because that's completely inappropriate but what you do do is individually get around the kids in a conversation at some point and, and ask them this question if i could give you a magic if you had a magic wand and i and out of that magic wand you could have one thing that you would only one only one thing what would it be now you probably think oh yeah a car uh, loads of money, <laughs> uh, <laughs> something like I'd like to win the next football game. I don't know. Could be loads of things like that. The chances are the kids are going to say, "If I only had one thing," and this is what happened to me in Tajikistan, and this was my humongous learning point when I said to these kids in the orphanage, "If I could give you one thing with your magic wand, and it was only one, what would it be?" These three kids who didn't know me, I didn't know them. The translation was in Russian. They all said to me. I want a family. I want my mom. Yeah. I want a mom. Yeah. And I said, and I, I, I asked them why, why they said that. Because it wasn't what I was expecting them to say, in a sense. Mm. Yeah. I, did, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, Tajikistan is Muslim and they're speaking Russian and they're in an mm. orphanage. And, and I've got this white guy turns up and asks them this question. And they said, mm. I said, well, why would you like to be in a family? And they said, we want to be like everybody else because we go to school and all the other kids we meet at school, guess what? They're all in a family. We come yeah. home to the kids home and the stigma in there and the kids hate it. Mm. Um, and, and do you know something else they'll say? Other kids have told me this in Leeds and in America and in Brazil, where kids mm. will say, and in many other countries, you know, when kids get sent by an orphanage, a, a children's home, they have, somebody's donated a, um, a, um, a minibus to an organization and they use the minibus and say side of it donated by this dinner this group from the uk and you know thank you proudly presented children's home belonging to so and so and they go and drop the kids off at school and the kids tell you the kids will tell you i hate it because all everybody knows we come from a children's home and I hate it. I want to be, you know, and this is where we disrespect their integrity and their value. We devalue them. Mm. So there's something about marketing and the feel-good factor from the Western donor mentality yeah. of wanting to help, not intending to do this, but not mm. understanding how it feels for these kids or what the real issues are and what the options are. Therefore, that's what they're left with. That's all we know. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So ask the children, and they mm. will begin to tell you. You know, uh, another thing you could do: children's council. If you haven't got a children's council, get one. You know, what one of those is children's mm -hmm. council. A group of kids who are able to represent the rest of the group, and you treat that seriously. And you say, "Look, you get together. I'm not in on it. You get together, and if there's things changes you would like or things you would like us to do, we'll you know we'll see what we can do. But you discuss it, and then we'll meet together as a, a group, a, a representative of the whole of the children that you're doing." Again, yeah. it's valuing children and giving them the dignity and the respect to say, we have a voice. Oh, if you're going to look after kids, you have to have training. You have mm -hmm. to have it. Without that, you're going to make so many mistakes. So training, yeah. good quality practice training. Yeah, I'll say no, I, can, I, could, I could echo all of what you've just said from Revive's experience, especially of, of the girls, you know, their greatest desire is always uh, to be in, to be in family. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose, you know, for, for some churches, um, I can obviously understand some of the reasons why they support orphanages, you know, for effects and for money. Um, yeah. But, uh, but we have to, we have to think a little bit about the long term as well. You know, if you're, 
you know, what about happens to these kids when they age out of, yeah. of the orphanage? Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of us still depend on a family. You know, I have a family. I still depend on them, you know, financially sometimes and emotionally. Um, and, and so that's why we need to make sure that these kids get a family before they age out. And so unfortunately, sometimes perhaps churches, they have a very short term mentality. It's yeah. about making a quick fix now. Yeah. Perhaps we need to think about the long term. I think sometimes as well, um, I've come across some some situations where the, you know, people like us revive in Brazil, we run a care home um, and we would like to transition to perhaps family care, but our main sponsors in Mm -hmm. the UK or the US who give us money, we are perhaps a little bit scared to to tell them that we would like to transition away from 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 care homes because we're worried that they will stop funding us because you know they perhaps won't want to fund just families they want to know you know they want to see the house and see all those those happy kids smiling at the dinner table with the food that the church has provided for them and so i'm hoping that you know this pod you know has perhaps encouraged people to to, to start that conversation if you are a church and supporting care homes perhaps you know the mission support committee you guys just need to you know get a zoom call going down talk to them say guys have you ever thought about family care if you have brilliant because we want to support you in that um mick do you have any if some people are interested perhaps to know more about family care and, and, and getting involved perhaps in this and supporting organizations. Do you have any resources that perhaps you could-, you could Well, uh, I think um, we're, we're building resources all the time, but as a, as a charity, but, but the things that, which is my personal book, which I do believe you've read, Andy. I have, I've, have, I've got it here actually. You've got yeah. it there? Do you want to tell so, us, tell us, tell uh, us where, what it is and where, where we can find called, it? Believe it or not, it's called Children Belonging Families. It was, um, it's published by an American company uh, publisher, uh, so it is available in America, and you can get it through in America. You can, in the UK, you can get it through uh, childrenbelonginfamilies.net. Childrenbelonginfamilies.net. That's all one word. Dot net. Mm-hmm. Um, and in America, you can get it from Global Child Advocates, all one word. Dot org slash shop. Globalchildadvocates.org slash shop. And they have a stock of these and they will whip it out to you. And that's cheap. You can actually get it from Amazon, but it's cheaper from everywhere else. (laughs) No, brilliant. No, thanks, Mick. I I have read it and uh, I can say it's a very, very good book. It's good to hear uh, Mick's story and it is very powerful, uh, the, the book that he has. We will include those links in the show notes on the pod so people can can find it uh, easier. Any other resources, Mick, yes. that might not have been well, written these, by yourself? Are, there's quite a lot of <laughs> stuff that's been around a lot, a long, but really good stuff from 2010. So you know that this isn't just something that's just been happening now. This, is, this mm-hmm. has been on the move for the last 20 years, um, <clears throat> this whole development. Um, there's a, uh, um, Save the Children did a, a document in 2010 called Mis- Misguided Kindness. Mm, yeah. I think that's a very apt title. Mm. In being kind, you can be misguided. Effectively, that's what we're saying. Yes. And that was 2010, so that's 11 years ago. But it's still relevant, so read it. And it's good reading. It's good. And that's available if you Google that, Misguided Kindness with Save the Children. There's another one called Families Not Orphanages, and that's done by the Better Care Network. Uh, another one from Tear Fund in 2017 was called caring for orphans mm. um, and so there's, it, there's stuff coming out all the time as research about particularly about neurodevelopment in the brain and how stuff yeah. like that's happening now it's even more crucial about why kids need families and not institutions because of yeah. neuro things what we're learning now that we didn't know 15 years ago 10 years ago mm. exactly so, uh, yeah so i would yeah. say certainly down that down that route uh, for simple eat well good reading uh, lots yeah, of no for and good research documents. Yeah, that's no, really good, Mick. Um, I suppose for for those Christians who are perhaps wanting to see the kind of Christian arguments for you know for fostering, uh, Kandaya and Home yeah. for Good. That's a that's a good book, um, uh, which is a bit more biblical in 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 the 
foundations. Mick, thank you, uh, thank you so much. Um, our listeners can look out uh, in a few weeks' time. There'll be another pod um, taking a lot of what me and Mick have just talked about and uh, talking how we at Revive are, are, are implementing all of those things and how our journey uh, in transitioning from institutional care uh, to, to family care as well. So look out for that. But Mick, a huge thank you uh, for, 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 for today and may God bless you in, in, in your mission as well. Welcome back. There we go. That was the interview. And and Andy, in, in our intro, I think you failed to actually <laughs> introduce <laughs> what the topic what the topic was about today, but I hope it was a surprise, a surprise topic. Yeah, a surprise yeah. topic this week. And uh, for all of you who guessed, it was going to be about fostering and the uh, intricacies of institutional care. We're, we're bang on. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, amazing, amazing <laughs> on their on their podcast bingo. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, well no, it's a, it's a real interesting topic, and I know you guys were very limited on time uh, with our interviews because mm. I think it's a much more complex. Uh, topic than than you could cover in 35 40 minutes um which but it we, was, well, it was... we, we we actually didn't and you had to you had to like you cut like 20 minutes off it so. <laughs> i did i did i did uh but i tried to leave leave the core the core of what you yeah. guys talked about in there the too. highlights um, I, and i think it's really interesting Andy. you know obviously coming from revive too it's kind of uh, setting the future for revive you're kind of talking mm. against almost uh, what what revive is set up to do right now um, right right and we'll we'll do a we'll do another when we do a, a kind of revive uh, update um, I'll do one um, with with our fostering team uh, to give a little bit more info about what the future is for revive but yeah it's definitely the future and it's the way that revive is transitioning uh, so yeah so so stay tuned in a few weeks time to find out more with what's going on with that. And I think it's it's yeah. so complex, this idea of uh, fostering and adopting. And today you're specifically talking about this idea of moving from institutionalized based care uh, to family care. Um, mm. I think it's also funny. I think one of the thoughts that crossed my mind is you were talking about the the way churches have this kind of like uh, glowy eyed, honey view of children's mm. homes that they're these kind of solutions to the problem i think also sometimes we have this kind of uh, glowy eyed view of uh, adoption too and of foster care yeah. too that somehow uh, and again it's that idea of people's hearts being in the right place having a passion being motivated they want to do something uh, they want to hey i'm going to go and foster right now or i'm going to go and adopt yeah. right now and it's going to be this <laughs> perfect hollywood um no. <laughs> <laughs> ending uh, to these stories um, but I know that your experience with Revive and, and my own personal family experience with with going yeah. through uh, the adoption and foster um, roots is mm. that actually it's it's incredibly uh, an incredible challenge uh, yep. for those families it's messy. That, that, yeah it's very very messy too um, yeah. and I and think yeah like, like you yeah. said I think you know we actually probably just need to do a full podcast on on talking about foster care um yeah and, and talking about it too because i think people are genuinely um interested in getting involved mm. and sometimes they they um either they don't know where to start or yeah or they they maybe know what i'm alluding to and they've heard some uh, some scary stories or some messy stories of of what fostering <laughs> and adopting looks like yeah yeah i think it's no we just need to be clear that fostering We've talked mainly about fostering this time, but we can we can lump in adoption as well. Um, you, you know, it's not for everyone, and um, and motivation, like you said, is 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 key. And if you're coming in with a very romantic view, thinking that you know you're going to be it's going to be amazing, and you're going to be able to foster a kid or adopt a kid, and it's just going to be you know, a fairy tale, it's, you know, you're completely wrong. <laughs> and something which Mick would hit, would say himself that we didn't actually get into, a massive part of running any kind of foster service is, is the identification and preparation of, of the families to make sure that you're actually choosing families who, who actually know what they're going to let themselves into and who also have the support network necessary 
to to help them through the challenges. So that's a yeah. massive part of any fostering service. So, yeah. Any fostering service and. And the big thing, you know, we talk about too, is the idea in places like Brazil, where the fostering service just is kind of non-existent. That's kind of the issue. Mm. That's what Mick was kind of getting at, where he's visiting these places and they have, you know, the focus is on the institution. Uh, in places like the UK and the US, there are, um, you know, a foster system in place. Um, mm. So yeah, if people are listening, they're interested, oftentimes uh, you can get training and information on what it means to be a foster family. Um, it's definitely worth exploring. And if you look at the statistics um, for the US and the UK, uh, we are by far uh, away from solving the problem of um, uh, dealing with a population of vulnerable children uh, in desperate need of, of family care. Yeah, that's right. And also it's, it's important to remember that, you know, a f there's never going to be any kind of 100% foster service. There's always going to be a need for institutions. There's always going to be kids who, who, who adapt and fit better into institutions. So even in the UK and the US, it's a mixture. There's more kids, thankfully, uh, you know, placed in, in family care, uh, but we do still have institutions. And so it's just about using both of them to the best of their abilities and, uh, and working in partnership. Well, Andy, thanks. Thanks for doing that. And if you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I'm sure I did. And, uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to doing many more amazing well, ones to come. <laughs> exactly. Well, I edited it out to make, make it seem like you did a great job yeah. anyway. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's always the, it's, it's always the editor who makes, uh, makes it. That's good right. That's right. It is. It is. Okay. Well, we look forward to seeing everyone again on the far shore soon. See you soon. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at thefarshore at reviveinternational.net. To learn more about the work of Revive International, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, revive-international.org. Please subscribe to keep track of new episodes. We look forward to you joining us on our next journey being called to the far shore.